0: Burn marks on the lawn of faith. Maybe once or twice I've mentioned that my wife Barb and I like to garden. Okay, maybe I've mentioned that like a hundred times. You would think, however, the fact that we enjoy gardening would mean also that we take like really good care of our lawn. Uh, that would not be the case, however. We mow our lawn and that's pretty much it. Recently, it occurred to me that in addition to growing grass in our lawn, we were growing a lot of different types of weeds. I could quite count quite a few of them. And so, finally I resolved that we would put a little uh, fertilizer and weed killer on our lawn to try and grow a bit more grass along with all the weeds. Uh, So I did that in the spring. That worked great. It looked better. And then I was doing it recently, uh, later in the summer, and I had a little bit of the fertilizer-weed killer mix left over, and there was this spot that really had a lot of weeds. And against my better judgment, I thought, well, I'll just spread this excess stuff right in that spot. Now, previously, that spot had been green. Weedy, but it had been green. What color is it now, people? it's brown now because I burned it out by putting too much fertilizer and weed killer in one spot. In other words, something that's good in a uh, small amount can become bad in a large amount. This gets us to the reading that Kay just shared with us, our first lesson today from uh, from, uh, Romans chapter 13. Uh, You should read Romans chapters 12 and 13 sometimes. They, it's just wonderful guidance from Paul on how to live as human beings, how to live with each other, and how to live collectively within our, within our society. It's really good stuff. But it's also stuff that has been misused over the years and so I thought that's a little bit of what we could talk about today. First, uh, review the context. This is today's reading, the part that Kay read is from Romans chapter 13. Paul, the apostle, is near the end of his life. His theology is really thought through. And he writes kind of this final summary of it to the believers living in the capital of the whole Roman Empire, the city of Rome. And so he writes both um, in in well thought through detail and with a sense of kind of carefulness. uh, Because he knows he's writing to these people who, uh, as Christians, are uh, a little suspect in the center of the Roman Empire. Uh, And in a way, it's, it's, if you know Paul well, it's almost a little disappointing because elsewhere he's so blunt and he's so personal. Uh, Here it's a little bit more distant and reserved, but he realizes that sometimes moderation is a good thing, and that's what he does. Uh, In Chapter 12, he just shares all of this great guidance for how to treat each other, ending with uh, never return evil for evil, return good for evil echoing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and then in the part that Kay read, uh, he says don't owe anybody anything except to love them, and then that leads to guidance to, on, on how to be a moral person. That's all good. You'll notice that I haven't talked about what's in the middle of that, though. What's in the middle of that is Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7, which is a section where Paul says, and you could almost predict this since he's writing to Christians in Rome, How do you relate to your government? And he says, obey the government. The the rulers are instituted by by God, and uh, if you owe taxes, pay them. If you owe tariffs, pay them. If you owe honor to somebody, honor them. And that is good advice, wouldn't you agree? Uh, We human beings always live in societies, and being a constructive part of the society, obeying the rules, paying the taxes, honoring the people who lead, Uh, the government is a good thing. We're also Americans. We're probably aware that too much of a good thing can sometimes become a bad thing. This country wouldn't exist if we didn't have something within us that said uh, too much of British taxation without representation would be a problem. Unfortunately, in the history of Christian interpretation, especially for us as Lutherans, Luther who was not at all a literalist anywhere else in scripture, took this super literally. And it had uh, disastrous impacts in his own time in terms of obey the government no matter what. And, and, and I think that filtered through in, in the German psyche and of course potentially had part of the, 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 the impact and part of the, the foundation for what happened in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. Um, Bernmarx on the lawn of faith by over-application, perhaps, of Romans chapter 13, verses one through seven. The thing is, Paul had already built within it uh, the moderating influence, because as soon as he got done writing about the government, he said, don't owe anybody anything except to love them. And, And that remains the thing that moderates all of us. Make sure that we keep things in proportion our lawn will eventually recover. Uh, We as a human species are wonderfully resilient. But in times that tend to be somewhat extreme, an extreme application of our faith would be a misapplication of our faith. Read Romans chapters 12 and 13 sometime. It's very good stuff. Just how do you respect yourself, how do you respect the people around you, and how do we stay in balance in a world that frequently uh, actively doesn't want to be in balance? If we read it as Paul meant it, then it becomes our power and it prevents us from creating any more burn marks on the lawn of our faith. Let's start here. question you can eventually ask maybe your pharmacist or doctor but uh, here's a story in the Horner Eibler household that goes back 25 years my wife uh, was in school and she was taking a pharmacology class and one day uh, there was just an open discussion and somebody asked the professor the proverbial if you were stuck on a deserted island in the middle of the ocean someplace what one drug would you want to have with you Now, remember, this is 25 years ago, so maybe the answer would be totally different today, and maybe the professor would have given a different answer the next day than the day he gave it. But the answer he gave that particular day was, well, I'm on a deserted island. Having a wide-spectrum antibiotic might be kind of nice, but it's not like I'm gonna be catching anything from anybody else. So he paused and he said, I want prednisone. In other words, I want a corticosteroid as my one drug because if I fall and get a cut or sprain something or break something, it's anti-inflammatory. If I get bit by something, it it might suppress my immune system enough to keep it from overreacting to the bite. If I could have one drug along on my deserted island in the middle of the ocean someplace, he voted on that particular day in 1995 for prednisone. So now uh, ask ask your, your pharmacist or doctor that question sometime. Uh, If they could have one drug with them, uh, what would it be? Might be kind of interesting to see what their answers are. But uh, in the life of faith, here's a question you can all think about. If you could have one story from the Gospels, just one story that would guide you through your life, which Jesus story would it be? So think about that. You've got the four Gospels, 89 chapters in total, I think. Uh, If you had only one story, which would you pick? I'm going to cheat immediately and say, well, I'd keep one parable so that everybody would know what a good storyteller he was, and I'd keep one of his teaching sections. And I think the teaching section I'd keep might be today's gospel lesson, only six verses long. I'm not sure particularly well-known But when's the last time uh, you had a disagreement with somebody or somebody hurt your feelings or got under your skin or you did that to somebody else? Was that more or less than an hour ago? I mean, it happens to us like every day almost, I think, Uh, or more frequently than most of us would like. And then dealing with that in a way that gets us through it and past it and actually to a better place, that's hard. And our failures to do that results in so much stuff. And so what Jesus says today is really life-giving, I think, and really practical and really doable by really any of us. And what does he say? When you're in one of those situations, just talk one-on-one. We all kind of know that. We also know it's hard to do. Don't do it, by the way, when you're already exhausted or don't have enough time or you're so angry at the other person or they at you. Probably not the best time to have a productive conversation. But do it quickly and do it with enough time. And and we human beings are really good. And and I think 90% of the time when people just talk one-to-one, not only do they resolve it, but they actually end up in a better place. Just talk to each other. And then the next thing he says is, well, if that doesn't work, you know, involve one other person, a neutral third party, counselors, pastors, trusted friends. It can be a lot of different people. Just pull one person in. And 90% of the 10% of the time, uh, that resolves it. And then within the faith community, he says, well, if, if that doesn't work, have the whole faith community work on it. One of the things I appreciate so much about unity, and this preexisted my time here, uh, but, but it's maintained, and, and now it's from both streams of, of uh, our one congregation, is that uh, people do talk to each other, and they do problem solve together, and you, you can be in the majority without uh, excluding the minority, And you can be in the minority without feeling like no one uh, will ever hear you with what it is you're talking about. Uh, You know, that's not perfect here. Uh, But it's a a pretty good place for doing all of that. And then at the very end, Jesus adds this one little thing. You know, if if none of that works, then let the other person be to you as a tax collector and a Gentile. Does that mean you write people off? Uh, It doesn't, because Jesus kept searching for Gentiles and tax collectors all the time in his ministry. Uh, All he's saying is is sometimes you just have to take a break, and you need to separate yourself, and sometimes you need to get out of a situation to be safe or healthy, uh, and and to not let that situation have power over you. But that that doesn't mean perhaps that the situation remains unresolved forever. Just get away from it for a while. Such good advice. Just talk one-on-one. If you need a third party, have a third party. Within groups, make sure you keep talking about it. And sometimes you just have to step away from it. And, and then eventually go back to it, but, but it's different. And therefore perhaps more approachable. If you had one score story of scripture that you'd pick, which would it be? I think maybe this would be one of mine. One last little thing about this story is that this is from the gospel according to Matthew. And the first thing Matthew says in chapter one is who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel, God with us. And at the very end of this gospel, uh, the, the very last thing Jesus says is I'll be with you always. And then the only other place in the gospel where his presence with us is affirmed is in these verses, where two or three gather in my name. I'll be there in the midst of it. And it's within this context that he says that. In other words, not when everybody's happy and and friendly and good. I mean, I think he's there then, too. But, But when we deal with the hard stuff, the stuff that could fracture our relationships, but which can also lead us to a deeper... And, and perhaps better relationship. When we're working on that stuff, he is right there in the middle of it. Trust it to be so, live like it. Hey.